True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. Very, very happy to be here as part of PodMax with Mr. Chris Larson. Chris, thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me on the show. Chris and I were just reminiscing because we actually met each other at the Bigger Pockets Conference. Uh, no, not Bigger Pockets, Best Ever Conference uh, a few months ago, pre corona. Pre corona, um, baby. It was really the last time I got out of the house, uh, I'll say. Yeah. And uh, so now, now we're stuck inside, but coming to you virtually through PodMax, uh, which is a really, really awesome event. And so we've got a double, supersized episode here. We have two different stories that Chris is going to share with us. And I'm really, really excited to, to dig in. In. Um, Chris, give a, give the audience a bit of a background on uh, what what your portfolio is like, how you got into real estate, and then we're going to jump right into these stories. Yeah, Justin, thank you. So I've been investing in real estate for over 20 years, bought my first property at age 21. Nice. I was in college. Um, I talk about this all, by the way, in my book, which your audience can get for free today. Uh, during PodMax, we're doing a giveaway. Go to nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link. You can download it. I'll send you a copy for free. Um, but yeah, I was in college. I was studying engineering. I actually wanted to be a cyclist, a professional cyclist. I wanted to get out of college as fast as possible. I was racing my bike. Uh, and in between my freshman and sophomore year, my training partner, my best friend, my roommate died from a brain hemorrhage. And after another year of racing with my head down, um, I was an all-American cyclist. I got to train with Lance Armstrong. I trained at the Olympic Training Center, raced all across the country, uh, was winning a lot of races, but I won, it was actually my friend's memorial race uh, over a year after he died. And I came across the line, won the race in dominant fashion, and I felt nothing. And for somebody whose life was racing, it, it, it uh, I got up, I'm like, something's not right. Yeah. The next weekend, I raced in our state championships, and I pulled over on the side of the road, I was up the, up the road, in a breakaway, which is kind of like off the front of the pack. And my mother was there watching and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm done. She goes, I've never seen you quit a race. She didn't know what I was saying was I'm done racing. I went back to school. 
And I was fortunate that actually the family friend that introduced me to cycling also introduced me to the concept of compound interest in investing. And I had been day trading. I was making like 5,000 bucks a month in college, uh, doing really well. But that that ticker goes the other way sometimes. And there were days and months that I'd lose a ton of money. And one sleepless night at 3 a.m., I thought, I wonder, wonder if there's a better way. So I looked at a lot of options, read 250 books, started going to real estate conferences, got an MBA in portfolio management. And ultimately, as I said, you know, after buying my first property, dove headfirst into real estate, built my single family portfolio uh, and managed that um, and did that for about 15 years. But about seven years ago, Justin decided that multifamily is what I call the holy grail, mm-hmm. sold all my single family properties, moved 100% into the commercial, specifically multifamily space. And after after investing for a couple of years, ultimately started syndicating deals. And we've been doing that for the past five years. Uh, we're up to over 1200 units now in the Southeast. And uh, we just closed actually on a just under 50 million deal, $49.995 million, 232 unit deal, uh, just out of Charlotte last week. Wow, congratulations on that. Uh, that's amazing. Um, so much to unpack there. I mean, from this, this tragic story of your friend, I'm so sorry about that. Um, to, to just that realization of like, this is not what I meant to do. Um, and then moving obviously into, into real estate, um, really, really crazy story. You've blown, you've blown me away here in the first three minutes already. Um, so I'm going to try to recover. Uh, so listen, you're, what a great story. Um, talk a little bit about like, just more picture on what your business is like right now. So you're syndicating across the Southeast. You have 1200 units. Um, Are you buying mostly in that 200 unit range? And what are your deals look like? Yeah, Justin. So it's evolved. You know, our first deal that we did with my partner was a hundred units in uh, the um, Atlanta area, Atlanta, MSA. I was actually near the, near the um, new baseball stadium down there in Smyrna, Georgia. And this last deal, like I said, 232 units. So uh, what we're targeting now are larger, a little bit higher quality deals. So started, you know, C plus kind of workforce housing, um, pretty heavy value add. Um, that has evolved over time to light value add. And this last acquisition was um, more of a stable class A asset, it does have a potential value add component. And that's what we're looking at right now is high quality assets in the B plus A minus range that have built been built in the last 20 years. And around 200 units really fits our model because what we're looking at is we're using third party management. And we're looking at top regional leaders in the property management space. And um, hopefully we get to talk a little bit more about the operation side because it's 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 so critical learn some learn some lessons about that. Um, well, that's why years. we're here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I've learned some lessons over that over the years. And, and that's, that's why we're, we're looking at what we're looking at right now with the economy, the way it is, um, stable assets, high cash flow, reasonable loan to value deals. Got it. Got it. Well, uh, that was a great transition, I would say, into um, your your first story that you want to tell, tell us about, which is a deal that did not go so well, um, and and really with some due to some management challenges. So so set it up for us and, and talk us through it. Yeah. So it's you know it's interesting. You know, everybody says, oh, the last you know ten years, you could basically buy anything with. Uh, yeah, with, people like know, to say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I started in this space. So for anybody that's listening, that's interested in being whether active or passive, I started as a passive investor in this space in 2013. 
invested with the group, terrific group. Uh, we actually partnered with them on our first deal and invested in a deal in Houston, Houston hot market at the time. Um, it's also been a very strong market the last five years. And the property did really well the first 18 months. It did so well, we were able to take some cash out of it. The thing was killing it. Well, then we started facing some management issues. So property underwent uh, some management issues with the third party management team that we were working on. Um, the operators I was working with uh, were undergoing, we'll call it a business divorce. They were separating from one of their partners um, and they were growing at the same time as well. So probably some distraction there. They had a lot of stuff you know, that, that they were dealing with, also dealing with things on the structural side, undergoing management change, the new management company didn't work out as well. So now we're in our second management transition. Hurricane comes along, blows the roof off the property after the oil market takes a tumble in Houston. So we're basically, it's like the perfect storm. We got one, two, three punch. We got management issues. We have a force of nature and, you know, we're dealing with a bad economy, uh, bad economic times in that market. So this property that had been outperforming that we had been able to pull capital out of here, we are two years later and we're having a capital call Man. and all the investors are being asked to send money to the operators, to the GPs to keep this deal going. Now, that's, that's obviously, you know, as an investor, you know, you're saying, man, I'm, I'm supposed to be getting checks from this property <laughs> right. every quarter. Now right. I'm not getting, now I'm not getting checks from the property. I, I don't know if, if those are going to restart again. And now I, I get an email that says the, you know, I'm anxiously waiting to hear if the property is still standing after the hurricane. It is, but you know, 20 units are uninhabitable. So now occupancy drops again. Now there's insurance, there's all, all kinds of things that are in place, but as anyone knows, like if you have to call the insurance company, it's probably not a good day. No. You know, it's nobody, nobody thinks that's like winning the lottery unless you're committing insurance fraud most Correct. likely. Right. So, you know, I'm getting all these updates. I know the, I know we're going undergoing management change. And then I get, I get that, that email that says, Hey, we have a capital call and you can either send in a check or you can have your ownership diluted. So right. um, I actually ended up sending a check, said, hey, I'm on the team. I'm, I'm in the long run for this. Uh, ended up getting the property um, back, in, back in sale condition, had a solid management team in place, got it rented back up, and ultimately we sold that property. Uh, we, did, we did get our capital back. We did make a small profit on that deal. But you know, I tell that story to investors, Justin, because you know, it shows that it's stable. And as much as I believe in the multifamily space, you know, deals can lose money, they can go south. And it's important to know the risks that are associated with uh, well, deals like that. Yeah, I, I agreed. And and thank you for, for being so open and honest about that. Um, I do have some questions uh, about your story as, as you went through there. So you said uh, the first, first point that you mentioned was that there were some challenges with the third party management team in the very beginning. So what, what is the challenge with the third party management company look like? Yeah. So if any, if people are familiar with a value add deal, you're typically, you're taking the resident base and sometimes you're turning the resident base to get a higher quality resident. You know, if you have people that are slow pay or no pay or uh, partial pay, maybe you need to vacate those individuals uh, over a period of time. Um, but the nice thing is when they move out, you can, you can go and you can rehab uh, the unit. But with the time value of money, 
you can say, hey, we have to rehab, say, 100 of 200 units. That's a, that's a pretty big undertaking. You know, so you have your crews coming in and out, and time is of the essence. So let's say you're putting in 5000 to $10,000 per door, and this one was you know, somewhere in the middle of that. What happens is time is now important because if you can turn that unit in a week or two weeks or four weeks and get somebody else in there paying a couple hundred bucks more rent, you're in a really good position. If it yep. takes twice as long, you're not. So what was happening is that process was going slower than it should have been. So now you have a unit that's taking longer, that's costing more money and that's uninhabited. So you know, that is, that is one piece of the management component and some management companies, they're just not equipped well to deal with the value add situation. Um, some are better at managing a higher, you know, an asset that's more stable. Absolutely. Um, so that, that was the, that was the crux of that situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen that too with, with the projects that, that we've done and, and it's so crucial to have a management company that understands the, the way to do it because there are some very, there's really only a few right ways and there's many, many wrong ways in that yeah. you know, I've seen people come in and just, you know, say, Hey, kick the door and like, we're going to raise all your rents and renovate everything. And guess what? Those tenants leave and now you're not making any money, right? It's a balancing act. Yeah, exactly. You have to be tactful about it. You have to do renovation, bring on, but then, but you have to do it step by step because you're not going to take a C-class asset, put all these high-end finishes and go attract an A-class tenant when they're surrounded by all the other C-class tenants too, right? So you have to do it in a sort of step by step by step basis. And turn that property uh, as a, as a cohesive unit, uh, as an entire property. So absolutely. And there's so many ways you can get hung up on that, you know, with construction draws or with, with lack of oversight or even, like you said, even speed for unit renovations, um, can, can all hurt that business plan and, and just throw it to the side. Um, so, so, not only were you slowing your renovations, then you had a natural disaster, literally blowing the roof off. Um, and then the hurting economy. So now I'm expecting that you probably have a lot less qualified tenants for these units, even the ones that you are renovating. Now there's not as many qualified people for those units. Yeah. Or you can't push rents, right. You know, right. you know, and they, it's, that, that's the challenge. So, you know, and, and Houston has gone through a couple cycles, um, you know, before and since then, you know, we're actually oil markets dropped a lot in there now and there's some challenges that Houston's going through, but you know, these are some really, these are some things to be aware of, you know, um, and that the crux of it is if you have management that's struggling and you have these other issues, the, the headwinds can be so severe that you just can't, it, you just can't overcome them. And then whenever you change management, there's going to be a lag yes. in, the ability to be effective. So um, that's why it's, it's just so, so important to have the right management team in place and always stay one step ahead, which I know you know. Yeah, I, I would say, well, how long do you think it takes if you're switching management companies for, for the next company to really be in the groove? Yeah, I think a quarter at minimum. And just like anything, you know, six to 12 months is probably a reasonable assumption. You know, when you think about like, before you're just like, like things are humming, but I've, I've seen, I've seen management turnover and within a quarter things have shifted direction. Right. Um, Cause if, if you get, and now that those situations are more local. And what I mean by that is the management company stayed the same and the actual property manager or regional manager okay. has been turned over. So, you know, whereas okay, so if you're, you're turning, you're talking about just changing the staff, not the company. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, you're going to see a quicker turnaround there versus if you're turning the whole company over that you're working with, or you're taking it over yourself, then, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that you, you may have to learn and get up to speed. So, you know, those are all things to, to think about. A lot of times if we're switching management companies, we will interview the staff that's currently on the property with the other company and see if we can have some continuity there because those relationships and that understanding of the property can help flatten the uh, learning curve. Absolutely. Um, Chris, I think I have to bring you back for another double episode just on that, just on changing management companies, because we've done that too. Uh, And 2018 and 2019, we changed a few of our management companies and, you know, trouble everywhere you look really, you know, and um, having some consistency in staff is a good thing because there's a history of the property, but then also Mm -hmm. there's a reason you're looking for new management too. And, And so, it's right. like you want to take yeah. the good bad and, and so there's you gotta so sift many, through it all right so many hurdles that way um but then you're right it, it's at least a quarter you know three months if you're bringing on a new company um and think about this right so you decide you need a you know the company's not working maybe you give them like a 30 days to try to turn it around then you give them a 30 day notice then it's three months mm-hmm. for the next company to come on it's like man it's like six months really from the time you realize oh, yeah. there's a problem to the time you're like solving that problem. <laughs> and if they're checked out, then, you know, you're, they're just, they're just dragging you down Yeah. Uh, yeah. during that process. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's, listen, it's a people business. I've managed people. Um, and it's, it's, it's critical to really stay on top. You know, there's personalities involved. Um, you know, another kind of sidebar, but another, another story, you know, we had a regional manager, um, and they had a, a sickness in the family. They're, you know, it's, it's challenging. These are, these are real people with real situations and you know, we have to be sensitive to that as well. This isn't just numbers on a page and salaries and, you know, little levers. We get to, we get to pull and control how things you're, happen. You're so right. You're so right. Like you, especially in a syndication around, you know, I invest in the same size deals, like, like the 200 unit space and you're, yeah. you have staff, full-time staff and they are people with families. And especially right now during uh, this time of coronavirus, you know, people's yeah. families get sick or, the, or, you know, we, we have some of that happen happening at some of our properties and it's like, you gotta, you gotta take care of your staff at the end of the day, yeah. you know, and, and it is Absolutely. a business cause they are the people that represent you to the tenants, um, to the yeah. city, to, to, you know, the, yeah. the inspectors that are coming through and mm-hmm. you gotta take care of them. And you're absolutely right. It's a hundred percent of people. Business. Um, can we talk about the capital call a little bit? Um, because that's, oh. it's actually not a topic that I've covered so far mm-hmm. on this show. Yeah. Um, and I think you explained it really well in that, you know, you, when, when a syndication or, or a property needs more money uh, to operate, the, the general partnership can usually has a provision where they can say, we need more cash. We need to raise more for, for this property. And so the way to do that is to either ask everyone to kick in or they have to get diluted down because you're, you basically still have the same share of the company for the limited partners, uh, but you've got to then bring in more money. So, Indeed. um, yeah. So, so just ex- talk about that process a little bit. And, um, obviously most of us never want to have to do a capital call, but, but you chose to, to put money more, more money in. Um, and just, just take us through that a little bit. Yeah. So for, for those that, that may not be familiar, um, I actually, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I went through this experience because it gives me an example to share with our investors when they say, well, Hey, what's like, 
what's a realistic scenario when, when something doesn't go wrong? You know, typically as an investor in one of these deals, you're not going to lose a hundred percent of your investment. You know, it's going to be, if, if something goes wrong, it's going to be that you're going to get lower returns or, you know, worst case, you know, I would say in my, in my personal experience, the worst case scenario was this capital call. So what you're looking at is, you're going to have a situation where, you know, it's going to come from a couple of different things. You know, if, if the cash flow drops to a certain point, you can cease distributions and that had already happened. So the first step is, you know, let's say you're, you're expecting to get a 6% rate of return. Well, next thing you know, you're getting a 3% rate of return. And then you get like in uh, coronavirus right now, this is probably a very, um, uh, apt time to talk about this because you know there are properties that have ceased distributions now just to be safe and make sure you have enough cash in the bank and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's not great when you're an investor so then you know if after distributions have gone to a point where they're not optimal maybe they stop so now you're not getting distributions but you're hopeful that the property continues to appreciate if operations appreciate uh, continue that's probably not happening though, if they've stopped distributions. So now if you're over leveraged typically, and this is what happened in this deal, we, that we, there was additional debt that was put on top of the property that had to be serviced. Now the break even point of that property was, was so much higher that we could not sustain the debt levels and operations and continue to own that property. So what the general partners said was, we need the limited partners to contribute additional capital to make sure that we have enough money to keep this property operating until we can get it back on its feet. Till we got the roofs repaired, till we got management in place and um, you know got revenues back up there. So that capital is, you know, it's like, think of it as somebody that's working and you, you lose a job and you say, well, I got another job lined up, but I'm out of work for a couple months. You have no money coming in. So what do you do? You go to your bank account. Well, if you're like the average American, you, you might only have, you know, a thousand bucks in your bank account. So then what do you do? You start putting money on credit cards mm -hmm. or maybe you tap into a line of credit and that sort of thing. At some point that credit's going to run out. Then maybe you call a friend, or a family member and borrow some money. And in essence, that's kind of like what a capital call is. You're, you're, you're calling in that favor and that's the provision. And it's an important provision in the syndication to guard against the worst case scenario, which is losing that property and turning it back over to the bank. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so it's, it's really like helping to preserve your investment and, and get that property back performing. So it's not something exactly. that any of us ever want to do, but it absolutely, you're right. It is an important provision that, and a tool that we have in our belt as syndicators that, um, you know, helps, helps prevent that because nobody wants the bank to take this, the property back. For, for That's right. And we, we tell our investors that our number, our number one goal is capital preservation. Right. So, I mean, I was, look, was I, was I thrilled with that investment? No, but at the end of the day, there was a lot of bad circumstances that occurred that, you know, the operators could only have so much control over and they prevented us from losing money in that deal. And we actually ended up making about 5%, you know, over the, over the course of that deal. So I didn't lose money. It could have been, certainly could have been a better deal, but there was other investments I had during that same period that did worse too. Right. So, you know, it's, it's good. We had that capital call provision in place for sure. Right. 
Okay. Well, thank, thank you for, for sharing that. And, and uh, hopefully, you know, it sounds like you took some lessons from that as well, which you're applying oh, to your business yeah. today. So, you know, a, a 5% return and an education, I would say not, not too bad, right? Yeah. It's like free education, right? <laughs> you're made money while you, while you learn nothing wrong with that. Um, so let's move on. So many good lessons in that one. I, I want to move on to your next story here, uh, which is about a local deal in uh, near your house, right? Asheville, North Carolina. Tell yeah. us about, tell us about this one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if anybody's listening and they say, wow, like I can't wrap my brain around buying 200 units. Um, I was on a, I was on a show last night, a live, um, uh, broadcast we did. And the topic was, it was 85 ways and how to make a million dollars in real estate. And there's a lot of people there that they're like, you raised $20 million for a deal. Like I, you know, I'm looking to do my first little deal. Right. And, and the story I told them, I, I bought a property from the, from the bank and it was a seven unit property here in Asheville. And it was on the market for um, I forget the exact amount. I think it was $725,000 and they had dropped the price to like 699. I think it was. So I was, I was actually selling a single family home and I had some proceeds coming out of that. And it, the timing lined up so I could do a 1031 exchange, ended up going to the bank, looked at it with a friend of mine that's a broker and said, you know what? I don't need to buy this property, but if it's a great deal, I'd consider it. So he made an offer to the bank. Uh, $500,000 bank came back and said, how about 540? Said, settled at 525. So bought this $725,000 property for $525,000. Here's the thing. It was half rented, half vacant. It was like, you know, all the, all the units that were in there that weren't rented, they, they look like trash, you know? So nobody wanted to, to move into those spaces. You had to pump some money into those. The other units that were rented were 50% of market value. Wow. So yeah, significantly below market. But when I did the math, I thought, well, shoot, all I have to do is, is get this thing fixed up and get some new tenants in here. And if I can get it even close to market, I'm going to be able to do really well in this property. So it took about two years. Um, We put about uh, in addition to the down payment, we put about another $25,000 into that property. Um, but we're talking like spit shine, right? Like we're talking about new paint, you know, just, you know, just minor repairs, made some tenant concessions to get people in there. Cause my goal was to get people in there, Justin, keep the current tenants as happy as possible to sign leases and then refinance and, and get our money back out. So after two years, we were able to refinance that property. And this is going back to, you know, the speed with which you can execute. So some people may say tenant, like you, have, you made concessions to get people in there. Well, my thought was if I can give away a month or two on the front end and get those markets to rent by the time the bank was looking at the net operating income on you know, a year and a half, two years down the road on that property, that would increase the value. So I was willing to, I baked in those concessions on the front mm-hmm. end, mm-hmm. knowing that I'd be able to get that money back out. So I got some, and I also got some really high quality tenants and I did some rent escalations over, over that period. So I had people that were in there, they locked into three, in some cases, uh, three year terms, you know, with, with rent escalations, mm-hmm. which was wow. great. Um, and, you know, this has been, um, five years and I still have, uh, half the tenants that were in there when I first, first picked that property up. Um, so it's been a great property. We ended up, um, increasing the value of that property. We bought it for five twenty-five. Uh, it's appraised for over $900,000 and 
you know, we, we more than, more than doubled our money with what we could, what we were able to pull back out and still have some significant equity in that property and still cash flowing, uh, very significantly. So, um, great, great little deal that, you know, if you say, Hey, 20 million is over my head. Uh, if you could, if you can pull together a partner with a hundred thousand dollars, you could, you could do a deal like this. I, yeah. I mean, that, that's an amazing model. Um, and, and an amazing story really. So first off, awesome. So you're negotiating with the bank, right. And, and you're just pushing it and saying, look, I, yeah, I don't need this, but, and, and by the way, I think that's the right approach to every deal that we buy. It's like, I don't need this. You, right. If you're desperate for a deal, it's probably not a deal. So, okay, great. If it comes to me and it comes at the price that I want, fantastic. So, so you really stuck your ground and you know, 525 sound sounds great in the context of the story that you just told. So, so fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then it's all about operations, right? So you see an opportunity there where, um, clearly mismanaged, clearly whoever owned it before, you know, obviously the, the bank took the property back. Uh, yeah. their rents are under, like they, they weren't operating this thing well, they weren't even taking care of it. But it sounds like, uh, you're saying you put $25,000 in renovations here. Uh, that's not that much in the, in terms of five, it was like, it was like five grand a door. Yeah. So, so you're probably, like you said, some paint, some cabinets, maybe uh, some, some flooring carpet, new carpet. Right. Um, it doesn't, doesn't really take that much to, to turn that, that property around. Um, and you know what, that model is exactly what we're trying to do on the the much larger properties too. Right. And it's it's the same steps, um, the same concept, same amount of work, you know, it's on a large, larger number, but, but that's all. So I love that because you're right. Anyone that can find a partner, you know, with a hundred grand, I mean, that that's an awesome opportunity. Um, and so those opportunities are out there. I don't know right now if, if there's too many yeah. deals like that, but, but you know what, you stay persistent. You're going to find it. Anyone can find a deal like that. It, it just takes time and effort and, and energy. It does. And that's, I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you heard my first part about that story is I called a broker. So I think it's important. And that was a commercial broker. So I think it's important to have those relationships in place because it was one of those deals where my, my attorney said, Hey, here's this, here's this property for sale that the bank owns. And it wasn't like widely publicized. And I went and looked at it. I called my friend. I said, Hey, I need you to, I need you to give me an idea of what this property in this area of town is an area of town that was kind of up and coming. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other story. Like, you know, I always tell investors, like, you know, we're looking at a small local deal, but it's the same thing. Like you said, Justin, we look at areas of the country that are big and growing fast. I look at areas of Asheville that are like up and coming. And for, for a local investor, all you have to do is go on the city website and they'll tell you where they're putting their development dollars in the future. And just look, they'll have a five or 10 year plan say, Oh, let's go look at that area and then go scout it out. Talk to a local broker, say, Hey, let me know if you find something here or if you're, you know, you're driving through the neighborhood, you take a little different route home, like, Oh, there's a for sale sign. And it says that, you know, it's from the bank or Mm -hmm. um, maybe a broker um, or see who owns it. You can look that up. And that's what happened. We found out who owned it. Banks are bad operators typically because that's not what their business is. And they were, they were happy to get it off their books. And then I just put the pedal down because I knew speed, speed was of, um, or timing was of the essence on that. And you put the pedal down, you know, people, it's people, you know, wires hanging out of walls, scare people. But 
I mean, it, it, you know, you get a con again, have a contractor that can come through, give you an estimate. I knew, I knew before I closed on that property who I was going to have renting, how much it was going to cost to repair it. And as soon as we closed, we had our pedal down, getting people in there and getting it fixed up. Yeah. Speed, speed, you know, you really can't sit on these things when you, when you buy them, you have mm -hmm. to execute that business plan. And so it's like a mad dash of like uh, going from yeah. underwriting to the deal. And as soon as that offer yep. gets accepted, then it's like sprinting, right? The business plan, the contractors, everyone's getting lined up, the money's getting lined up. And then as soon as you yeah. close, then go, let's go execute Absolutely. the plan. Um, and it's a blast. Yeah, it is, right? It's a lot of fun. And, and then you yeah. see it working, right? And you see those new tenants coming in and they're loving what you've done with the place and they're paying you rent. And you're like, wow, this is working. Uh, it's really amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I want to touch on the, the another point that you mentioned, which is sort of the, the foresight, the looking, you were looking a year ahead as you were bringing on these tenants where you're giving them yeah. concessions, right? And so, so talk about that and, and maybe break down the numbers a little bit, but why, how does it work if I give a concession now, uh, this month, how does that pay off for me? How do I get that back 12 months from now? Yeah. So the way I looked at it, Justin, I, you know, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. My MBA is in finance. I, I, I'm always looking at like what the IRR is. So um, if, if you don't know how to use a financial calculator, it's okay, but it's definitely helpful. So, you know, I, I love my little uh, Texas Instruments BA2 plus. I even have the same app on my, on my cell phone here um, that, I, awesome. that I, can, I can pull up and use. So what I did, I did an analysis. I said, Let me, let's see here. Like how can I maximize my IRR, my rate of return over the next two years while I have this property? So we'll do a simple example. Let's say you can get $1,100 a month for rent. Okay. And you sign a, a tenant or a resident to a two year lease. Okay. Well, or, or even a year long lease and you say, well, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get $1,100 for a year, but Hey, Justin, what if I give you a month free? Well, for 1200, a $1,200 a month rent, that's a hundred dollars per month. If you give a month free, mm -hmm. that's easy math. Or you could say, well, what if I, what if I decrease rent the first six months and I'm going to charge a thousand for the first six months and 1200 for the second six months. So what I did was I, I, I did that. I looked at the average rents, but then I said, well, what if I, what if I graded them? So they're higher at the end. So this way, when I have the property valued, and this is important, these properties, these commercial properties, even little ones, you know, like a seven unit deal, valued on net operating income. So the bank looks at that. So if, if you have the option between a thousand upfront, 1200 on the back end, instead of 1100 flat, you can increase the value of that property, even though your rent is the same over that period of time. So that's one way. If you're doing rent concessions, if you're giving away rent on the front end, it's very similar to thinking about it like a value add deal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna invest this much money on the front end to increase rents on the back end. So if you say, hey, I'm gonna invest five thousand dollars into this unit, but I'm gonna increase rent two hundred dollars a month. That's very similar to saying, well, hey, what if I could increase rent two hundred dollars a month, but I'm gonna give away one or two months on the front end? It's a different way to think about it. Mm -hmm but a similar way to add value and increase the value of the property at the end. And it's really just turning different financial levers. So I looked at that. I looked at the different rents for the different units. I, I turned the knobs up and down. And then I really pushed the tenants when they signed the leases to take the concessions on the front end so that I had 
market level rents on the back end. And the way I explained it to them was, Hey, listen, I, I need to be getting market level rents. And for my, for my tenants that were in there already, they were, they were getting below market. So I said, listen, I'm going to help you over the first you know year or two. I'm going to make sure we, we get you to that point, but it's going to be this at this point in time. And I backed, I backed it out from then. So then I knew when I was going to refinance that property, I said, okay, let's say it's going to be worth, um, 800, it was like $800,000 two years later when we appraised it. Uh, I knew how much money we could pull out of there. I knew what my, you know, overall rate of return would be. And then I also knew what the cash flow was going to be. So again, it's just like you said, it's the same mindset, that value add mindset. And just don't box yourself into thinking that making an improvement or, or investing a certain amount of money in a unit has to be done by putting in a new washer dryer or, you know, floor or carpet. It can also be done by doing a rent concession on the front end to increase that rent on the back end. Wow. I hope everyone goes and listens to that last five minutes again, because that was, that's so good. And it's, it's crafty um, and, and brilliant really, because uh, the tenant looks at it and says, okay, well, yeah, if it's, you know, a thousand in the first six months and 1200 seconds, it's still the same. That's fine. Uh, but for you and the bank and the lender, when they're looking at this and, and valuing it, it, it makes a very, very big difference. Um, big difference. So yeah, especially if you multiply that by five or 10 or a hundred or 200, units, right? Now you're talking Absolutely. about massive amounts of value you can create. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's so good. That, that's so smart. Um, thank you for, for that awesome explanation as well, because uh, it's not, that's a, another new topic for this show. So, so uh, two, two awesome topics, that three awesome topics I think we covered here. Um, so thank you so much, uh, Chris. Um, Again, can you talk, talk about the book before we go? Tell us about the oh, book, yeah. where it came from. I and forgot about that, yeah. How could you forget? Uh, <laughs> and and what, you know, who is it for and what do I get out of it by reading it? Well, I'll tell you, when you start talking about the deals that made money, I was feeling like a little, you know, like a, like constricted after talking about <laughs> sending sending checks for capital calls. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I get, I get really excited talking about deals. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah, if, if you want to learn more about me, learn about uh, my history and why I now believe that, as I say, that the holy grail of real estate is multifamily, um, get a copy of our book, Next Level Income. Go to nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link. You can download it for free and I will send you a free copy as a PodMax uh, bonus today. Awesome. Um, I talk about my history. I talk about you know, what I invested in up until this point. And my goal is to help flatten the learning curve for your listeners, Justin. So, you know, if you think you want to do single family or invest in notes or um, whatever it might be, you know, there's tons of ways out there to make a lot of money. I talk about my story and hopefully you can learn something from it and your listeners can get some value out of it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's nextlevelincome.com. Is that it? Nextlevelincome.com. Nextlevelincome.com. Get a free book, guys. Come on, free education. He's going to send you a book. Uh, I'm going to go right now, actually, and get my free book because I'm really excited about it. So, Chris, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for participating in PodMax here. Uh, we're having a blast today. Hopefully, you're getting a ton of value out of this as well. Um, and, guys, if you want to check out Chris, besides the book, his bio, his social links, everything is up on our website, truemultifamily.show. And uh, Feel free to leave a comment there and uh, maybe Chris will pop in and, and answer some questions. And certainly I hope uh, we'll come back and, and do this again because uh, Chris is, I can tell, full of really, really great, great knowledge. So thank you, Chris. Uh, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. 
It's been a blast, Justin. Thanks for everything you do for your audience. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.